we start Advent together is going to come from 2 Peter. I don't know that I've preached a whole lot on 2 Peter. It's one of the, the latest books or the latest letters written in all the New Testament. Uh, and, and we see that in the tone uh, that we'll be sharing in today as we look at 2 Peter's third chapter. And uh, I'm going to start and, and do a little bit verse 3 and 4, and then we'll pick up in verse 8. Uh, but Peter is writing to encourage a church to stay faithful in challenging times. And so this is the guidance he gives us this Advent. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Then down to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll just be with us as we look to your word today. Um, come let your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and lives. Shape us so that we might know you better and grow more deeply in your grace so that we might be holy and blameless and at peace with you, ready for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when we talk about the season of Advent, uh, Advent is about the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus into the world. We celebrate the first Advent as Christmas in the manger. And as Candace uh, talked about in our Advent devotion today, we don't begin with that first Advent. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Instead, we begin with the second Advent, Jesus coming again. One of the great early prayers of the church was, Come, Lord Jesus. A desire 
for Christ to be right here in our midst. But as we've looked at uh, the life of the church, uh, both in Peter's day and in our day, as I said, this was one of the last letters written in the New Testament. It was written at a time where people were beginning to ask the question, where is this Jesus? If he went away to heaven and he's gone, is he coming back? When is he coming back? When can we expect him? And so uh, the writer of Second Peter shares with us and says, listen, uh, you guys, there are going to be scoffers out there who love to scoff. There are going to be skeptics who love to be skeptical. And they're going to challenge you with the question. You say Jesus is going to come back. Well, it's already been 2,000 years. Where is he? Can you really believe that that promise will come true? And so that's the question that, that's framed for us. We do wrestle with being here for thousands of years and still things seeming to be, by and large, the same. Why is that? What's going on? Well, Second Peter gives us the answer, right? What's the answer? God is extremely patient. God is extremely patient. He says, listen, and here he's quoting the Old Testament. You know, a thousand years is like a day. And a day to God is like a thousand years. And in that, what he is sharing is this. That if you kind of think about it that way, if that's the case, then Jesus has only been gone from uh, this creation or this world for two days. Not long at all. It's only been two days. David was king ruling Israel just three days ago. Abraham uh, was getting to know God uh, and his invitation to go into a new land, a promised land that's being fought over still today. That's less than four days ago by God's timetable. God is extremely patient. And the point of Second Peter is that's very good news. Good news for all of us. It's good news for you and me. In two dimensions, but quickly to look at, the first dimension is it's good news for those that you are praying for, those that you love, those that you care about, who are slow to coming to faith in Jesus. It shares that God's heart is to do everything God can to capture their heart and he is patient in that task and goal. Um, I know. I've seen that in the life, for instance, of my grandfather's shirts, my granddad's shirts. He's, he's dead now. He died in his early 90s. Um, but granddad's shirts was a Navy man, right? Career Navy, Navy culture. Uh, you know, he, he would say himself, he, he was all, his humor was always a little bit corny or unique. You know, he wasn't afraid to, to kind of be goofy and all those things. But when it came to church, when it came to faith, when it came to conversations me or other family members would have with him about Jesus and about living life uh, uh, for, for Christ and all those things, he, he would just, he was a skeptic. He'd be like, ah, I don't know that that's true. I don't know, you know, just his whole life, uh, he was wary 
of this idea that, that God uh, wanted to have any part to do with his life. And it took for my granddad really the last week of his life. Finally in that last week when he was facing death face to face, I went and prayed with him. My aunt went and sat with him and he began to realize how close he was to eternity. And in that moment, he began to ask my aunt, well, is it too late for me? Has God's patience given up on me yet? And my aunt was there to tell him, no. You want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Just go to him. Be honest with him. Repent. Begin telling him the mistakes you've made in this life. And if you'll do that, he'll be ready to receive you. And so right then and there in the hospital room, he started spouting off his sins so much that my aunt said, Dad, I really don't want to know all this stuff. Just tell him silently. God is patient with us. It, and I, I meant to kind of give you the, the overtone of, of all that uh, uh, Second Peter is sharing with us is this. Uh, I want you guys to think about living life from an, an eternal perspective. Right? That's the challenge that that uh, Peter is trying to help us with here. He's trying to help us live life with an eternal perspective. And the simple part of that eternal perspective is that in God's view, God is extremely patient. And so he is willing, he's willing to take that thief on the cross with his last breath. You know, I really think that, uh, that for instance, um, if a human being here on earth is getting close to death, car wreck, you know, whatever. If that person needs an extra 10 seconds or an extra 30 seconds or an extra minute to say yes to Jesus and to say yes to the kingdom and say yes to eternity, I think God will give them that time. God will give them that opportunity because God desires everyone to come to repentance and everyone means everyone. And so that's a sign of God's patience. A second sign, though, of God's patience with this verse is that God has a deep heart for every tribe, every people, every nation, every tongue, every race on this planet. And part of what the writer of 2 Peter is sharing with us is that God is so patient, he's waiting to bring every person he can into the kingdom. Every nation he can, every people he can. God, I mean, let me put it this way. We believe Jesus in his death and resurrection transform heart and lives. Transform us in fundamental ways that heal us, that set us free, that, that turn us into new kinds of people and better kinds of people. And God desires to see that not just among white folk or black folk or Hispanic folk. God wants to see that among every tribe, language, nation, people, and tongue. And we are not there yet. And so one of the little phrases here that's, that I hope you saw mentioned in the text is that, that we can expect the day of God and we can speed its coming. 
is that little phrase, we have a part, if we want Jesus to return more quickly, then we have to have a heart like God's heart. We have to have a heart like Jesus' heart. We have to be doing th the things and accomplishing the mission that Jesus has for us to do. And that mission primarily is reaching the least and the last and the lost with the good news of Christ. There are over 2 billion people who woke up this morning and they cannot go to church because there is no church in their whole city of millions of people that they can go to that they know of. There are 2.5 billion people who woke up this morning and they can't find a Bible to read it because the Bible is not there in their community where they can purchase one or receive one for free. There are 2.5 billion people in our world who don't even know a Christian and wouldn't know how to ask a Christian about who is this Jesus guy. We live in the 21st century with technology that shrinks our world incredibly, and yet still there are two and a half billion people who woke up with no opportunity uh, to know Jesus today. And that, I believe, breaks God's heart. And so God in his infinite patience is waiting for us, his church, to participate in sharing good news for the least and the last and the lost. And so I want to give you two practical ways you can do this. Uh, I know as y'all move forward, uh, uh, you're wondering what kind of missions can we do as a Methodist church moving forward. Uh, well, the Mission Society which is in Norcross, which is connected to Methodism, the Mission Society, I'm quite confident, is going to be the mission-going agency for the Global Methodist Church, right? And so you have a mission team that already has missionaries all over the world with a heart for taking the gospel to the least and the last and the lost just up there in Norcross um, that's ready for, for this church to support. I know in talking with Chuck and Henry and others uh, that that y'all want to continue to tithe toward missions, which is a great, great thing. Uh, our United Methodist apportionments, which is usually 8, 9, 10%, uh, tend to be part of our mission giving as a church. Well, uh, now that you're not going to have that, if to keep wanting to give that tithe to the global church would be great. Uh, my encouragement is, yes, do local missions. Yes, do... Missions uh, in Honduras and Haiti and other places, but have a particular heart for missions to people who do not know Jesus at all. Find at least one mission team, mission group, to a place that is unreached with the gospel of Christ and invest significantly there. Of that tithe, I would recommend 30 to 40% of your mission giving going to that target because that is God's heart. The other 60% can go to uh, you know, Conyers missions and Rockdale County missions and Honduran missions and Haitian missions and others, but 30 to 40%. You say, why so much? Well, I'll share with you a truth that uh, an another fellow found that changed his life and has changed uh, the world too. Uh, his, his name is, let me see if I can even find his name here. Um, John Harima. 
John Harima is CEO of Big Life International. Big Life International is a mission uh, that he started in 2000. And this is a story of why he started Big Life. He said this, Harima, um, Harima in 2000, he and his wife were living their perfect life. They had a two-year-old daughter and a baby on the way when he was challenged by a friend at church to read a book titled Unveiled at Last. And the statistics in that book shocked him. Less than 2% of mission dollars are being used to reach 97% of the least evangelized people in the world. Let me say that again. Less than 2% of church mission dollars are being used to reach the most 97% unreached people in the world. When he saw that, he said, that is not right. That is not God's heart. So him and his wife cried to the Lord for forgiveness, for living self-centered and little life, and asked the Lord for his big work. Not long after that, Harima was in Iran on behalf of the Iranian Olympic Committee as a baseball team consultant. While in Iran, he had the opportunity to share the gospel with a local Iranian imam, Iranian preacher of Islam, who came to faith in Christ. And as this guy came to faith in Christ, he began to support this guy in sharing Jesus in Iran. And that turned into more and more and more. And now they are raising up indigenous missionaries all over the world. They have a staff of 1,800 disciple makers in 162 countries with its biggest program is in India. They are targeting the areas that need to be targeted with the gospel. And it is because he came to a conviction that God's heart is for every people, every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And if you want to see Jesus come soon, then that's where our heart has to be, too. So that there comes a day when, when, we, when everybody wakes up in the morning, everybody can go to church in their community. Everybody can find a Christian to hear the gospel in their own language. And every person can find a Bible written in the language of their heart language. That's our heart and goal, because God is a patient God. So that's the first part. The second part that, uh, that's mentioned about having an eternal perspective is this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Second Peter reminds us Jesus is coming back, and he gives us all this stuff like the world is going to be burned up in fire. Um, you know, back then, I'm sure they didn't quite know how that would happen. Today, we can imagine those kind of things because we've seen them in movies, right? We can, we can imagine a nuclear holocaust. We can imagine uh, an asteroid or something crazy like that happening. But the day of the Lord... The day of God's judgment is a key a principle to our life and faith. In the Apostles' Creed, we believe in Jesus who will come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. And that piece, we see our culture beginning to miss, right? I know 
There are some communities where they've had a Walmart or they've had a Target in their community, and shoplifting is becoming so bad that the company is going in and saying, we can't keep this store open in this community any longer. And it's producing food deserts and other kinds of deserts, and a lot of it is because, I think, in this younger generation, with skepticism about God and, and what God wants from us, I think one piece that, that us as humanity were missing some today is this understanding that, that how we live our life matters. And understanding that one day we're going to stand before God and, and he's going to share our dirty laundry and we're going to own our dirty laundry and we're going, to have to, we're going to have to own up for the mess that we've created or the mess that we've been. And, uh, and I just remember, even as a kid, I didn't go to church a whole lot. I didn't have a close relationship with Jesus at all. But there was, in the back of the mind, I wanted to be a good kid because I wanted God to be happy with me when I died, right? And, and I think, I think uh, God gives us divine accountability, knowing that we are called to live God's best because there is a day of judgment coming and we are to be ready. Amen? All right, last, last part is this in having an eternal perspective. With these things in mind, God's patience and the day of the Lord, God's day of judgment coming, the question then is how, what kind of people ought you to be? Verse 11, what kind of people should we be? And it says we're to be holy and godly people. We're to be a, a spotless offering, spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Uh, verse 14. We are to live God's best lives. We're to let him restore uh, his image in us. We're to let him pour out his love in us. We, we talked about this a lot two weeks ago when I was here with you. It's, it's a similar theme that was in Colossians. We're to be a set-apart and holy people. How do we do that? All right, I close with kind of three quick things how to do that. The first thing that he gives us here is he says, if you're going to live a holy life, you need... You need to know God's word and you need to interpret it in a healthy way. You need to know God's word and you need to interpret it in a healthy way. He says this in the 16th verse. He says, Paul, the apostle Paul in his letters, they contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, this isn't the only place he says this. He says this about three or four times just in this chapter. He says, listen, I'm writing these things to you to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. The writer of 2 Peter understands that in his day, you can take this book and do lots of bad with it. You can harm others with it. You can do lots of evil with it. And he is trying to say, hey, this is a great book of God's love, of God's heart, of God's truth, but you have to know it well. You have to dig in it well. You have to understand it in a healthy way. That's the first piece. The second piece is we have to grow to know Jesus better. He says in that 18th verse, the last verse of 2 Peter, 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The best thing we can ever do is to try to get closer to Jesus and let Jesus get closer to us. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants to transform your life. Just let him in. Just take some time in prayer and study, small group, worship to get to know him better. And then the last piece is ultimately when we get to know Jesus, we love better. We love better. If you rewind, we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, right at the start of 2 Peter, he gives us the path of our discipleship. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge of Jesus, right? Self-control. And self-control in your life, perseverance. And add to persevering in tough times, godliness. And add to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, you will keep from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have these qualities are nearsighted and blind. They forget that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The writer of 2 Peter reminds us again that our faith should produce goodness and goodness, uh, perseverance and knowledge of Christ and self-control and all these qualities. But ultimately, all that leads to being a person of deep and sincere love. And as I close today, my heart's prayer is that that would be for you as well. Um, I close with a word from Dennis Kinlaw who talks about 1 Corinthians 13 and living life out of love like that famous chapter of, of Corinthians. And this is what he, he tells. He tells a story about being at a missions conference. He says, I was at a conference with about 180 missionaries. We spent four days in retreat together. In that group, there was an elderly lady who was one of the matriarchs of that mission her husband had been one of the mission founders. And I remember that as the days passed, she listened intently to the word that was preached. And one day she encountered me at a luncheon and said, you're not really going to tell me that you believe a person can live by 1 Corinthians 13, are you? And I said, yes, I am. Here it is in the word of God. The scriptures say that if we have everything and do not have this kind of love, we have failed in everything. In our own strength, we can never attain to that love that is described in this great chapter. Yet the question is not whether we can love like that, but whether God can love through us like that. The power behind that love rests in the shed blood of the redeeming Savior and in his Holy Spirit, who can come and cleanse and fill and renew our hearts 
in perfect love. The missionary lady at this conference looked at me and said, I never felt it was really possible to live that way. How many of us go through life like her, thinking, you know what, I never felt it would be possible for me to live that way. But over the next afternoon, she opened her heart to the Holy Spirit's love through her. Is your life marked by the love of God? If it is not, you are failing at everything. He closes with this poem from Amy Carmichael. Love through me, love of God, there is no love in me. O fire of love, light thou the love that burns perpetually. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I pray today, we thank you for your patience, which means our salvation, the salvation of our friends and family, the salvation of this world. Help us to speed your coming, Lord Jesus, and be ready for the day of the Lord. And not just a day of judgment, but it's also a day of renewal, of a new heaven and a new earth, a new home in the heart of righteousness. And Lord, you are preparing our hearts to be at home with you uh, in that new, amazing uh, heaven and earth reality. And so, Lord, help us choose to be a holy people. Help us offer ourselves fully to you and let your love do its perfect work in our hearts today. Help us allow you to love through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.